0: Hello and welcome to CityWare Selectors podcast, Let's Talk About ESG, which ahead of the Glasgow Climate Summit we are rebranding into, Let's Talk About COP. <music> and joining me today is Wim van Hieftel, Head of ESG Investment and Research at Candrium. Wim, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: COP26 is obviously a big deal, but in terms of what you expect will get done at the conference, especially from the asset management perspective, oh, what are these milestones that you are hoping to kind of like will, will, will be achieved really?
1: Well, there's obviously still a significant amount of work to be done uh, since uh, COP21, uh, the Paris Agreement. I'm not sure whether governments really understand the urgency of, of what we're currently facing because we are approaching the next decade is going to be absolutely key. So we are approaching a, a very decisive moment in terms of the international efforts uh, to tackle climate uh, change. And the only thing we can see is that the numbers of countries uh, that have pledged to, to reach net zero is, is, is continuing to grow, but emissions too. So there's something wrong here. So I think I really hope that the gap between rhetoric and and and, and, and real strong climate action is going to close. Uh, so that means that this COP26 uh, in Glasgow, uh, the summit, which is tasked with finalizing the rules, well, that they come forward with a clear framework that they have decided upon in the Paris uh, 21 uh, agreements. That is the first thing I think. And secondly, to uh, that we start reducing our, our, our emissions because many governments, what we currently see, there's uh, the emission reductions that they promised. They are a long way off, so we need to plan there. And then, thirdly, is climate financing. I think uh, it's still uh, it's still a blank spot. What they have decided to, during uh, the Paris uh, COP21 was 100 billion financing a year, a year from 2022 onwards to help the poorer countries. Well, uh, that is still uh, not in place. So there's quite a bit of things that I think uh, that I'm hoping for that they will decide on. And in terms of the rule, maybe just one final mark, remark in terms of the rules. I think what we really need is that there's, there's an agreement on uh, the time frame, a common time frame. So uh, interim targets, interim goals for emission uh, cutting goals. So that's I think a first very important uh, commitment. And and I hope they will agree on on those kind of clear deadlines, clear targets in terms of the emission cuts. Secondly, also kind of a reporting framework uh, on, on climate action and progress. That means full transparency, but that also means that uh, we need to agree on that countries would, would monitor each other and how we're going to deal with those that are not aligned with their own uh, targets. And obviously, I think a very important one is also the global uh, carbon markets. That is going to be an absolute important Instruments that they need to agree on on
0: uh, for uh, the COP twenty six. So your reference to Paris obviously and climate financing that was kind of like set out to be done back then. So where is this whole kind of like target falling short? So what has happened since that was agreed on, and what needs to be done realistically?
1: In terms of the 100 billion for poor countries? Yes, exactly. All countries need to move, all countries need to make progress, that's pretty obvious. But I think what was uh, great in the COP21 uh, Paris Agreement is the, 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 the recognition and, and the acknowledgement that for poor countries it might be very difficult to make that transition happen because they simply miss the financial resources to do that. Scaling up green power is a matter of infrastructure, is a matter of, of, of renewables, Is a matter of of innovation, and that obviously costs money that needs to be financed. So I I strongly believe that if we want to get those poor countries uh, back on the table uh, with a clear plan, well, they will probably, again, look at at the more rich countries. And and they obviously need to commit and and really make the money available for, for those countries. I strongly believe that public-private partnerships could be a solution to there. I think uh, governments need to reflect on on also for poor countries what can be done and how we can draw investors into that uh, discussion and into that debate and into that game to support poor countries. So maybe we uh, need to reflect on that a little bit with, with governments and COP26 might need to to touch upon that uh in one of those uh, sessions where they will discuss about financing
0: mm-hmm. so another piece of what we've just discussed here is the reducing emissions and having credible world targets and frameworks to kind of tackle that i think from the asset allocation perspective and from the perspective of engagement with companies as well, where are the biggest pressure points are when it comes to decarbonization, Maybe some sectors that are difficult to tackle. Um, so it would be great to see uh, what your view on that is.
1: It's, it's not an easy uh, not to correct. let me put it that way. Because what we need to realise is that if you talk about um, net zero and if you talk about commitments in terms of, of uh, emission reductions, the issue is that uh, when you talk about emissions, you talk about fossil fuels, very simple. You talk about energy, and, and energy is so key to our economic structure that you just can't unplug fossil fuels from our, from our systems. We've seen that even uh, with, with uh, the Yellow Jackets. Uh, when any type of decision policy is being decided, it can have very important social impacts, too. So in terms of asset allocation, what we need to realize is that this is not just a matter of renewables. What we need is a complete transformation of our economy, and that will require many things, not only in terms of renewables in itself and getting us off those fossil fuels. And obviously, that will have a very, very big impact on the energy sector. And when I'm talking about the energy sector, I'm really talking about everything that relates to extraction, refining of, of fossil fuels, but also utilities. We talk about materials sector, we talk about chemicals, we talk about even mining, because we need to realize that if we want to make that transition happening, obviously, we're gonna, we need to get rid of, of fossil fuels, but we have another issue with commodities. We need a lot of commodities to uh, accompany that transition. So looking at asset allocation, I would say that there's on, on one side, what we need to be conscious of is the risks. The risk you may encounter when you need to deal with climate change in your asset allocation, you see that in fixed income, in energy markets, high yield even, where there are a lot of issues with with, with issuers. But it's not only about risk, it is also about opportunities. Uh, And I would say in terms of asset allocation, obviously, uh, when you look at opportunities, you look really across the full scope of opportunities that we see in terms of climate change. And that is obviously alternative energy, very obvious, solar, wind, hydro, offshore, geothermal, but also storage. Energy efficiency is also a very, very important one. People tend to forget that energy efficiency will be a very important one to, to cut emissions. And then also sometimes adaptation. Don't forget that uh, we will need to adapt because the consequences are already felt across the globe. We need to find, uh, in terms of water, uh, companies that offer solutions uh, for water management, for, for more efficient use of water, recycling, circle economy. So talking about asset allocation, I would say that there is quite a bit of things we can uh, tilt to in terms of solutions, both in fixed income and, 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 uh, and in equity. But on the other hand, obviously you need to be conscious that hedging your portfolio against the risk that climate change may bring to your portfolio is also a very important one. And I already mentioned the ETS, obviously. I think certainly in Europe with current prices uh, being above 60, uh, which is, is uh, which I would say is positive as, a, as an important lever to, 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 to accompany that transition, but also puts at risk some, some companies and some business models. I think we need to realize that the ETS from an asset allocation perspective is also gonna impact certain parts and segments of certain industries. And that is something we need to be very uh, conscious about. I'm talking about cement, I'm talking about steel, uh, I'm talking about utilities again. So asset allocation, yes, uh, more and more you need to consider climate change, but it goes definitely beyond just the more simple stuff that we think of uh, alternative energy. It's much uh, broader and much comprehensive than that. And secondly, it runs af- across all asset classes. It, it's also in fixed income that we see it's even more in high yield and emerging markets. So it's really about rethinking your full asset allocation and aligning it with, with kind of, you could say the climate challenge.
0: Mm-hmm. This is very interesting, Wim. What I'm thinking when kind of like, I think back on what you've just said is actually what are the practical steps you can take? Because at Kandrium, I know you're very active, well, both, both on the strategy side, so introducing new kind of solutions in terms of investments to tap all of those new areas, being like renewables, but also storage, et cetera, et cetera. But also I imagine if we are kind of setting out to decarbonize specifically carbon intensive sectors, that is the big engagement work that has to be done. Given all that complexity, basically, from the Kandrium's perspective, what are you doing with that? And kind of like, what are the realistic steps you can take without being overwhelmed with all of this?
1: That is a a very, very good question. And I think the market uh, underestimates what net zero actually uh, means sometimes. And even regulators find it difficult to deal with that because you need to realize, like I said, energy transition is about, about a full economic transformation but that transformation needs to happen somehow, and financing is very important. And it is not black and white, it has many, many, shade, many shades of green and many shades of gray. I think it's certainly many shades of gray. And this transition is also about supporting those companies that are, I would say, conscious, first of all. Secondly, that are willing uh, on a governance and strategy level, willing to transform. And for us as investors, we need or we we have a role to play. And uh, sometimes my feeling is that sustainability is uh, perceived as to be very, very pure. But where is your impact in accompanying those sectors, those companies that are willing to transform, that are willing to transition? How do we support them? And I think what we actually do it's true that we have obviously uh, over the last few years offered quite a bit of, of, of solutions in terms of directly addressing and tackling climate change, but that's more from a solution perspective, companies offering solutions that allow other companies to become more circular or to decarbonize. That is more on the opportunity side. But if you look at our, our, our more traditional funds, we engage obviously with many of those companies and. In terms of our more traditional funds that, have, uh, that we also think where engagement can play a major role, it's effectively for those funds that we think energy transition will be a very important one because it gives us kind of the lever or the leverage for our traditional funds to integrate sustainability. But still keep in mind that it's still about transition and you need to allow companies to transition. And that sometimes takes time. It is also not always a black and white story, but unfortunately, sometimes you need to be hard and and divest if you feel like this company is not really about transition. It doesn't realize the real risks that they uh, they are running. And so you take kind of the the decision of last resort is divestment. But I think in our traditional funds, we want to play that role. And that is obviously making sure that we communicate and that we are transparent what we see as, as objectives, first of all. That we enter into a dialogue that we want to be credible to meaning that we want to see clear objectives of those companies and not having empty pledges so a pledge needs to be uh not only a commitment but there needs to be behind also a real governance and strategy in place that uh for which with which we feel comfortable that the transition will happen within that company and maybe one last part i want to add to that Do not forget that energy transition is also about people. And that is something that we often underestimate or it's not often discussed. Those companies within industrials, within utilities, within the chemical sector, within the energy sector, they need to transition. But we're talking also about people. What does it mean for those people? So the engagement part that we do is very important to to challenge companies a little bit about how do you deal with that? How do you deal with your employees that, that, that are working in those sectors or that part of your company that are at risk? What about reskilling, re-education, et cetera? So it is complex, I admit. The engagement gives us the opportunity to kind of judge what are the leaders in that transition. And uh, obviously in the end, uh, we are there to finance that transition and accompany those, uh, uh, those companies that are on, on that journey to net zero.
0: In terms of engagements, obviously you are talking to companies individually to kind of like nudge them in the right direction, but how important is the collaborative engagement in all this? And are you a participant of any collaborative efforts and maybe what has been achieved so far with these actions?
1: It's uh, we, we obviously we, we engage uh, we engage a lot with companies because it's an important part of of of, of uh, communication between companies and for us too to have an even more granular view on, on, on how companies are performing because data is data but sometimes uh, in discussions with companies you, you get much more out of that in terms of, of, of forward-looking strategies etc. But I think uh, collaborative engagements and initiatives are very important because obviously Kandam is, is a leading player but. we we will not get there on our own in having discussions with companies. That's pretty obvious. If you talk about 100 billion or or a few trillions, that matters, I would say. So collaborative uh, initiatives have been very, very important to uh, make companies aware that uh, we are all pushing in the same direction. I think it's one of the few positive um, things that I see in, in the finance community, investment community is that we are willing the coalition of the willing, you could put it, willing to commit and willing to, to talk to each other and then talk to the companies and, and, and use our, our, our money um, to put pressure on companies. We are in quite a bit of collaborative initiatives. I think the most famous one is, is Climate Action 100. In terms of what it, it has achieved, well, honestly, initially our, all our engagements, I could say it's never enough. I admit, uh, engagement is, is, is a long process. It is a process of, of informing the companies. And I think that is probably the most important one is that informing companies and putting pressure on them that they should make progress. If I look at the progress we've made, it's probably not enough to the markets, but I think we have made progress, definitely. Look at where we, we have moved from uh, say on pay, a very famous one, where uh, I think has quite a bit, uh, has, quite, has had quite a bit of success in terms of this, I would say, uh, CEOs being conscious about the pay gap, also regulation that is, is trying to, uh, to guide that a little bit. Well, uh, build upon that, we see now the say on, on climate. The say on climate is, is definitely a very important one, and in the energy sector, we have had quite a bit of success pushing companies and allowing shareholders to express their view and meaning that companies now in the energy sector and in some other sectors need to have a clear plan in place and commit to net zero but in terms of the direct results obviously picking up on that we need to push harder we need to have more uh, uh, clear frameworks in terms of the progress that those companies need to to make so i think also those collective initiatives will and need uh, and will evolve uh, so that in terms of the impact we are going to have uh, on those companies that it becomes a little bit more measurable, I I would say, and with clear targets. So there are positive things, but there are certainly points for improvements.
0: I couldn't agree more, Wim. And when we think about co It's a two two weeks uh, long conference, and there are a lot of topics covered there from biodiversity to the role of gender in the climate transition and kind of like multiple other themes. So I was wondering which particular aspects of the conference have resonance with what Candrium is doing, and if there are any sessions or discussion rounds that asset managers should be watching closely, for
1: example. Well, i'm very eager to see what comes out first of all out of the uh the sessions on, on on science and innovation what it can deliver in terms of climate solution i've already discussed that and certainly accelerating that transition uh, the increased uh, ambition so i think certainly science and innovation is, is going to be a very important one also within Canada, we are we are really looking into this uh what it actually means where we see solutions sometimes it's, it's still very early days, but uh, as we've seen with renewables, don't forget, uh, uh, back in the days 2013, 2014, nobody would have thought what renewables have achieved already in terms of cost competitiveness, in terms of breath in the market, uh, access to, to uh, uh, clean energy. So I believe science and innovation is going to be a very, very important one. Adaptation, loss and damage. I believe that this is with, with what we've seen around the globe. Uh, wildfires droughts uh, floods we've seen it even in in, in our home countries for kemen in, in in Belgium in France in the Netherlands in Germany so adaptation is is more and more a key part of, of the solution around climate change because the impact is already felt so I'm really curious to see what comes out of that uh, that sessions th- that session and then certainly an important one i believe is finance um, I think there's still uh, a lot of Things that are are not yet clear. Where I see a lot of opportunities, those kind of public-private partnerships, suggesting clear frameworks how we can uh, sit uh, around the table with the governance, the finance sector. Don't forget that the finance sector we are a uh, facilitator to that transition. Don't forget that uh, we are we are maybe sometimes part of the problem because we finance stuff that we should that should not be financed. We are also part of the of the solution. Don't forget that. And I think governments need to realize that. And I think that public-private partnerships is not yet at the stage that it could offer s- solutions. So I'm cu- very curious to see what kind of ideas are, are going to come out of, that, uh, of those sessions to stimulate the types of collaboration and partnerships.
0: And you've mentioned carbon trading schemes several times during this conversation. And what I'm wondering is, well, obviously in Europe, the Price is around uh, $60, I think, roughly right now. Uh, where does it need to be to have a meaningful impact, firstly? And secondly, if we were to kind of like increase that threshold, will it have any kind of significant uh, impact on equity valuations, for example?
1: I think carbon markets are, are a key instrument, but it's definitely not the only instrument. That's maybe, uh, let me already make that a very important mm-hmm. remark because. Um, we tend to believe that uh, it is market failure, uh, what we see in terms of climate change and in our economy. And I would say, understand that reflection. I tend to think it a little bit the same way, but it's not only market failure. It is much more a system failure. And why do I put it that way? It will not only be companies and, and the financial sector that are, are, are going to offer the solution. When I talk about system failure, I think, Governments and 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 to a broader extent, everything that relates to regulation needs to be part of the solution. They're talking about carbon markets. We can have perfect carbon markets working, but if we still finance and subsidize, I mean subsidize, uh, and that is still a big issue, subsidize those fossil fuel companies, well, that's a massive issue because what does ETS actually means if we still finance those uh, or subsidize those those, those fossil fuel uh, exposed companies? about grid infrastructure there's a lot of things that needs to be done there uh, from a, from a governmental perspective to, to accompany that transition. But to the back to the ETS yes, I do believe it's going it can be a very important instrument knowing that uh, the ETS offers many solutions in terms of, you get financing, Governments get financed from that, and I think could be used to uh, kind of manage the secondary impacts of an ETS, which is about the just energy transition, which is about companies being impacted, and some companies will be massively impacted, don't forget that. But if you talk about an ETS that would work, it's pretty obvious that $10 uh, is not gonna work. I think we are approaching now a price That is a first important step step to having an impact. But there are many other things that we need to consider. Free allowances is an issue. Uh, The European ETS uh, is obviously the most ambitious one, but we have other ETS in the world. Uh, In China, price is too low, it covers only part of, 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 of the sectors. So the ETS is an important instrument. But if we don't make the global ETS market work, we're not going to get there. Now, in terms of the price, it's a very difficult one because obviously a very easy solution could be like, OK, let's put the price at, at 200. And it will have obviously the, the impact that some people might feel uh, it should have. But it's, it is naive to think that way. Our economy is simply not ready for that and would create massive economic and also social disruption. So I, I do believe that the prices need to increase. We need to make sure that all sectors that are having an impact, we call that a little bit the high stakes sectors, that they are covered under that uh, ETS, but also that there is an agreement uh, among countries on on how the ETS uh, need to work between China, between the US, between Europe, between Canada, between Australia and find kind of an agreement. So there's quite a bit of stuff that needs to be done before we can talk about a certain kind of a price. Currently we are at 60, I know that uh, what you need to realize is look at at carbon capture and storage in some kind of a sector. Scientific research has shown that if carbon capture and storage is to be competitive, we need to have prices for some sectors at 200, 150. It's not feasible. So how are governments gonna help there? So price is one thing, but I think we also need to think about from a systematic uh, perspective, what the impact is going to be if that price would be at 100 or 200. But if you ask me really, yeah, but what is it going to be then? Well, I can only rely on academic research, and, and that is IPCC and, and what the International Energy Agency has said. But if we want to act swiftly and, 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 and under the urgency that we are, I think we, we, we need to really be prepared for prices above 100 at some point. And if I say some points, well, it won't be 2030, that's pretty obvious, because otherwise we're going to have a lot of delay in terms of achieving the COP21 Paris Agreements and the objectives that have been enshrined in that uh, agreement.
0: I'm glad that you touched upon uh, the whole issue of the policy, and of course, like there are multiple pieces to that. But if you were to look at that, well, even on a narrow local level, uh, I don't know, kind of like where where you are based, or even like looking at the UK. So obviously, there are some positive noises coming out from the kind of like policy side of things, from the government's decision-making side of things, but. If we were to kind of like start making first steps towards kind of decarbonization, achieving 2030 targets, 2050 targets, what do governments need to focus on first thing? Because there are multiple things, but like, of course, investors can't do it alone and they need some kind of support from kind of policymakers and regulators as well.
1: Well, I, th- I think uh, using Europe as, as an example um, and look at what Biden has done in the US, uh, first of all, it's, it's really uh, financing, making money available to scale up green power and every possible solution that leads to green power. I think uh, energy is, is, is so important to our, our economic system. So I would more approach it from a positive perspective and certainly focus on that, I think, uh, US and, and Europe are definitely uh, considering that, so that is a very important one. But then we need to, if you talk about local levels, I think every country faces its own challenges. If you talk about energy transition, and uh, I, I'm, it's very difficult for me to kind of give a few guidelines here, because every like I said, every country faces its own challenges. And I think infrastructure is is, is a massive issue. If you talk about infrastructure, you talk about grid, you talk about smart grid, what it actually means you talk about a different way of, 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 of commuting, you talk about cities and communities. So I think also governments and policy needs to be focused on that. And that's not yet the case, I believe. And, and there's still a lot of research that needs to be done there too. Um, and then the last part is obviously, unfortunately, is is, is um, starting to talk to walk and, and look at at. at our fossil fuel uh, or or depends on fossil fuel and what it actually means in each country uh, for its economy if you want to transition and creating a clear, what I think what also financial markets need is, is from governments is a clear roadmap. If there is a clear roadmap with targets, with policy in place, with financing, well then our economy, investors, the financial sector as a whole, but also companies, can adapt with with, with clear transition uh, uh, pathways that are based on those frameworks. And I think that's what we urgently need from from governments, but it won't be individual countries that are gonna achieve that. We need global agreements because look at Europe, Uh, we might be leading from a policy perspective now, that's pretty obvious. with SFDR, with the European taxonomy, uh, many positive and negative things about that. But at least there is a clear articulation of, of being ambitious we have the fit for, for 55 but europe is just one player uh, us and and, and 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 emerging markets thinking about china russia are very key uh, players in that transition well you need to find agreements you need to get them into that discussion and 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 find agreements and that is obviously going to be very key to to make progress and have success
0: And you've mentioned the EU green taxonomy and the fact that it has positive aspects to it and negative aspects. Uh, So I I can kind of like guess what you're going to talk about next, but I I am wondering, kind of like, if you could elaborate a little bit on that. uh, What are kind of like challenging aspects of the EU green taxonomy at the moment, for
1: instance? I think the challenging, first of all, it's it's, if you look at European taxonomy, it was an an ambitious um, objective to, to kind of there articulate what a sustainability activity actually means, and I've been in this industry now sustainability for more than fifteen years. If there is one thing that I'm even myself are struggling with is defining sustainability because it is different. It's different to different people actually, and 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 there's that personal uh, aspect to sustainability, and the fact that the European taxonomy. Um, had as an ambition to define what sustainability actually means was a very positive step because it was actually based on scientific research first of all do not forget that the way it has been set up is not yet aligned with the net zero don't forget that so even the taxonomy Mm -hmm. is not fully aligned but apart from that i think it's good that they start reflecting on that based on academic research scientific research first of all and secondly what i think and it's I think it's not enough to uh, articulate this. What is very positive is that European taxonomy or the, the, the technical expert group articulated a clear view that even activities that were perceived by some pure players in, in sustainability to be very dirty, that they said, no, if they operate on this kind of scientifically uh, agreed upon targets, uh, meaning, for example, X, Uh, gigaton of emissions per kilo of production of whatever kind of commodity you might think of. And those were very, very ambitious targets. I think the fact that they articulate that was a very positive step forwards for transition. Because like I said before, we tend to uh, think a little bit in terms of uh, a bad and good situation when we, we discuss sustainability but black and white. But it's not black and white. Uh, sustainability is a transition. And it means that we need to define across our economy when an activity is sustainable. And that is not only about renewables. That is not only about so, uh, uh, so, uh, photovoltaic panels. This is not only about um, wind turbines. It is much more than that. It is about cement. It is about steel. It is about aluminum. Aluminium which is a key part of energy transition for the for, for the transportation sector. Having defined what an activity is and what it means to be sustainable, I think that was very brave and a very positive step. And I think they should continue working on that.
0: Wim, thank you very much for joining us today. A very interesting conversation.
1: Thank you very much.